Today we're going to continue our look at these parables of Jesus, these earthly stories or word pictures that reveal to us more depth, uh, greater depth into Jesus's kingdom, the kingdom that God has sent him to inaugurate here on earth. And the story today we're going to see will be at the end of our passage, and it's one of those interesting things where you can imagine students, the disciples, interacting with their teacher, and they're asking questions. And towards the end of the interaction, there's a, a question that actually Jesus responds to, and that's where our parable will enter into today's story. So we're going to get a little bit of the context, a little bit of the background of what's happening here in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And as we jump into this passage, it's worth noting this is the next passage in Luke's gospel, just after the passage we looked at last week about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And so some of the same context, some of the same people are present here in this passage. And we're going to look at the first 10, pass the first 10 verses here in this passage of Luke chapter 17. And we're going to see a few things uh, as we go into this parable. We're going to have a warning. We're going to have a promise and then some expectations or some standards of what it means for us to be a servant of Jesus Christ, a servant of that new kingdom that he is ushering or bringing in. So let's take a look here at Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. He said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, says the Lord, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Which one of you having a servant tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down and eat. Instead, he will, instead will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me when I, while I eat and drink. Later you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. This is God's holy word. Wow, what a passage we have again today. So Jesus was teaching and he encounters a question from the disciples and we're not sure who asks it. But as he responds and he ties it all back together, he brings in this parable of the story. And some of the main ideas from this come uh, in, in verse 3. We see one of the main ideas where Jesus says, be on guard. Now, in the original language in the Greek, that translates as, hey, pay attention or watch out or even beware, like a big flashing caution sign. One of those big orange signs on the highway where they put the messages up that flash at you. This is one of the things where Jesus says, watch out. He says, beware. And in this context, especially in light of what we've learned last week in Luke chapter 16, Jesus is saying, beware of the Pharisees. That's what he is telling his disciples. And once again, they are in Jesus's crosshairs. He's taking straight aim at them. And he's talking to his disciples as spiritual leaders. He's raising them up 
to be spiritual leaders in this new kingdom, in this new understanding of God's covenant. And he's saying to them directly, hey, beware that you don't end up like these Pharisees. And last week in the parable of, of Lazarus with the rich man, uh, just before this, we understand that the Pharisees, they had all this prominence, all this power, all this, all this success. And Jesus wasn't happy with them because not only did they have all of that, they desired it, they wanted it, and they, they sought it out. They, they enjoyed it and hungered after it, and they made compromises, and they added things into God's word to, to keep the people under their thumb. And they were not leading the people towards God's heart. Jesus was letting them know it once again. And he was calling his disciples and those who were perhaps, perhaps in the crowds there listening that day and those who maybe had been shunned as we'd learned by those religious leaders. He's saying, don't be like them. And the Pharisees, of course, they were angry. They didn't like this because it diminished their power. And Jesus is going after them. And after one foundational aspect of their sinfulness, one parable after the other, the heroes he chose, the stories he told, Jesus is hammering home this idea that we don't want to be like them. So what did it mean to be like them? What was the bedrock, what was the ground floor thing that Jesus was so upset about with these Pharisees? He calls it to attention here in today's passage. He says, don't be like them. And the most important thing, the central thing Jesus says spiritually at the depth of their being he doesn't want the disciples to be like them was their pride they had a lot of pride it was a big issue for them and pride is dangerous and it's deadly to our spiritual well-being it's deadly to our relationship with god and our relationships with one another pride is at the root of our sinfulness it gets in the way of so many things and it's the gateway we could say it's the conduit spiritually for us to lead us into so much greater sin it's the fertile soil in which so many other sins will take root in our lives pride's how satan is expelled from heaven pride's what leads to the fall in the garden of eden and pride quite simply destroys our heart or our longing to be obedient to god Consider here what it says in Proverbs eleven twelve, When arrogance comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Pride or arrogance actually leads us to disgrace ourselves, dishonor ourselves before God, but it also blinds us. Instead of having that wisdom and that life and that goodness that flows from God, pride leads us to spiritual death. And that's what Jesus is taking the time here to teach his disciples as his earthly, his earthly ministry uh, nears its conclusion. He wants those disciples, those he's raising up to be spiritual leaders in his new kingdom, he wants them to understand the danger of that pride, to beware of those Pharisees and not to be like them. So let's be real about this as we enter in and prepare to look at this brief parable today. Pride is sneaky. It gets into the root of our being, to the depths of our souls as spiritual people. And whether you know that you believe in God or not, whether you're a Christian, whether you've taken God into your heart, whether you've accepted him, let's be honest about something. You're a spiritual being whether you know it or not. And pride, it actually corrupts, it, it destroys the, the way that that fertile soil of our soul is made to soak in the goodness of God and it lets all these 
other sins take, uh, take root in us. And so Jesus wants them to know you don't want to be like the Pharisees. He's drawing a sharp contrast for his followers, a sharp divide for them, those disciples. He wants them to be humble. He doesn't want them to be prideful. And so he gives them this stern warning that we talked about at the beginning here. He warns them to have humble lives. But what does that look like? What does it mean to be a humble servant? So Jesus here, he's going to give them this warning as we see, but he's going to provide them with clear expectations of what it looks like to be the right kind of servant. He's going to give them several distinct qualities of what it means to be the right servant, the servant that God desires. And so first, we should probably ask the question, how does Jesus regard, how does he value humility? He talks a great deal about it and how everyone who is his servant must have it. And if you look at, for example, earlier in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 14, verse 11, Luke 14, 11 Jesus says a familiar passage, this may have been rattling around in your head as I was saying this, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So God makes it clear here that he opposes, in the deepest way, in the depths of the spiritual beings that we are, he opposes that those who have this pride and this self-sufficiency that think they have it all together, and yet he celebrates he exalts and you know, he lifts up almost like he'd put on his shoulders the people who will humble themselves. So we know that God has a great regard for humility. It's, it's the bedrock, it's the hallmark trait of being a servant in this new kingdom. And so this first thing we should see about humility that Jesus proclaims is how the pride of the Pharisees is actually contributing to the spiritual fall and destruction of the people around them. Those who are not the kind of servants that Christ wants in his kingdom actually erode the spiritual well-being, the emotional well-being, the wholeness, the well-being of those around them. Of course, your spiritual nature, whether you realize it or not, is, is the deepest part of your being. So those who are not drawing people closer to God, those who are being prideful and not being lifted up on God's shoulders are actually tearing down others spiritually, if you think about it. We saw that in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus last week as Jesus is talking about, of course, hell in that and how in seeing that, the, the, the rich man, the, the one who was exalted, was actually spiritually blind to what he's doing. And here again in verses 1 and 2 in today's passage, Jesus is drawing on that and how pride and how the pride specifically of the Pharisees actually is leading people to spiritual death. He says to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. What is spiritual offense in this passage? What is Jesus saying here? In other translations, if you grew up learning this passage, if you're a Christian in church, you may have learned that described as a, a stumbling block. And again, that, that's maybe a strange one. So let, let's uh, break this down in the way that we can imagine it. So I'm walking a few weeks ago in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park with my family. And some of the members of my family were walking along and there's these stones were stepping on on this path. It's a hilly, rocky path. And 
So I'm stepping on these stones and I start to slip because one of the stones shifts. It's not solid. Uh, I, I guess that's called middle-aged. And I start to fall. And what makes it worse is I'm wearing a backpack. I'm wearing a backpack, just, you know, part of training and being physically fit. I'm wearing this backpack. It actually has a gigantic metal plate that sits right up against the, the top of my back where my shoulders are. It's a 35-pound weight plate. So I have this backpack very tight with this weight plate against my back. So as this stone shifts and I have this weight, I begin to fall off the side of the path. Now I'm following my very young and fleet of foot daughter who hops across the stone and steps across the other one. I step on it, it shifts, and because of the weight on me, I start to fall off the side of the path on this hillside. And as I catch myself on some of the trees around me, I look down and recognize I could have fallen 40, 45 feet. I would have gotten hurt and bad, or I would have been hurt very badly or worse. It could have been pretty bad. And as I'm walking along there, I recognize I didn't see the danger. I was just following the person right in front of me. I wasn't even thinking. I wasn't paying attention. I was just stepping right along and not watching what I was doing or paying attention to any of it. And Jesus here is using a similar spiritual metaphor. And he talks about this idea of a fence or a stumbling block, something that can trip us up. Of course, here it's not physically it's emotionally, it's relationally, it's that deeper part of our being, it's spiritually. And Jesus here is describing the Pharisees as those who wreck the spiritual, emotional, relational well-being of other people in their actions. And he says here, it'd be better for them to suffer a pretty horrible death, a millstone, a, a stone that could weigh hundreds or thousands of pounds if it was just tied around their neck and they were cast into the deepest part of the sea. That would be a better end for them than what they're doing by spiritually leading others astray. Now, for those of us pastors and elders who are spiritual leaders, this has a particular weight, but for all of us as Christians, if you're a Christian today, Jesus is talking to you because you and I have a calling, as we talked about several weeks ago, to make disciples, to call others to know Christ, and to go all in on that calling, and to understand, as we learned last week, that heaven and hell are real, and to be a part of that. The deepest way that we do that, and the first way we do that is not to be prideful or to love our stuff or to love our power or prominence like the Pharisees, but to be humble. To not act in our own self-interest at God's expense, at the, the expense of God, but to look first at the interest of others and our responsibility as spiritual beings, since we're all spiritual beings, to lead them closer to lead them towards God, to actively seek to point people towards God and to point them away then from ourselves, which is the opposite of what those Pharisees were doing, to see us as not important and see God as great and of ultimate importance. And when was the last time that you or I actively, intentionally thought to ourselves, hey, hold on, I have to make sure this isn't about me and in fact, this is an opportunity. When have we been praying, thinking and aware that we must lead other people to know Christ, to point them to Christ, that they would have a relationship with him? When have we done that? Jesus is telling us that the first part of humility is recognizing that we have a calling to not be a stumbling block and to not knock people off the trail because in the way we act, 
If we do things at someone else's expense and to our own gain, it's almost like we're putting rocks, we're putting weight in their backpack to actually help knock them off the trail of life that leads to God, spiritually speaking. If we act in a way contrary to those kingdom values we've been learning in these parables, we're actually pointing people away from God and we're weighing them down and directing them away from God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is rebuking these Pharisees for time and time again. As we look here in verses 3 and 4, he's going to take this even deeper. And he says to his disciples, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and he comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Wow. Now, this is where the rubber really meets the road for this. This is one of these litmus tests, one of these practical realities we can look at. Jesus is saying, hey, you don't want to be like those Pharisees. And if you want to know if you're like those Pharisees, they added all these rules into the law. They, they made sure they weighed out their spices and their seasonings and all these other things. But it still was all about them. They look down on the other people. That's what we learned last week in the parable with Lazarus. He's He's in, you know, the rich man is in hell and he's still talking to Abraham and demeaning Lazarus and trying to order Lazarus around. And remember, this passage picks up just after that one. So here God is saying clearly that selfishness, that pride, that it's all about me attitude. He says, no, that's not what it's about. In fact, if you pretend to be all about being spiritually part of my kingdom and yet you're looking down at everybody else, you're you're a fake. You're a hypocrite. And that word hypocrite comes from the original word that we use to describe an actor or somebody who's in a play on a stage. And that's not what we want to be like. In fact, Jesus warns us sternly not to be like that. And one of the main ways you know where you're walking through all the motions, you're saying all the right things, but your heart hasn't been changed, is whether or not you can find it in your heart to forgive other people. If you want to know if pride is taking root and all these other sins are going to take root with it, Jesus is saying here in verses 3 for 4, you know you're filled with pride when you cannot forgive. If you recognize who Christ is as your Savior Christian, if you're a Christian today, that should lead you to forgive people. And we know it's not literally seven times a day, that's a biblical number. That's a number of completeness or fullness or spiritual completeness. So you're just going to forgive people. You're going to do that. And if you're humble, you're quick to forgive, not just once, but over and over again, because God's grace has changed your heart. But doesn't that mean someone could take advantage of me and hurt me? Yes, it does. But here God is saying, in the midst of this, if you will trust me, if you will follow me, I will spiritually work through you. As we're going to see here, he's going to say, I'm going to work through you to change lives. You're going to be a conduit for change, for spiritually directing someone. They're going to fall behind you, and you're not going to weigh them down. In fact, if you forgive them, you're going to take weight off of them, spiritually, emotionally, relationship. Forgiveness not only takes the weight off of another person, but if you've ever forgiven somebody, really forgiven them, doesn't it take the weight off of you? Doesn't it take a weight off your heart and off your soul? You see, the Pharisees were literally placing these rules, these rocks in the backpacks of their followers and creating these stumbling blocks and leading them away. And God says, no, you're supposed to be doing the opposite. Don't weigh them down. Lift them up. Take the weight off of them. 
And the disciples, they're getting this. In verse 5, they understand because they say, God, if, you, if you're going to do this, you better increase our faith. Increase our faith. They say, we, we can't do this ourselves. And unlike the Pharisees, they're recognizing that they don't have the power. Another sign of spiritual humbleness, of spiritual well-being, is not only you're able to forgive other people, but you're able to recognize, to admit to yourself that you don't have the strength to do what God calls you to do in your own power. You, you want to forgive others because you're a broken sinner and you recognize, I, I need more faith. I need more spiritual empowerment. God, I, I can't do this in myself. We need to recognize here what those Pharisees didn't see, what they didn't understand, what maybe people in our world today with all the unrest and violence are struggling with, not because there aren't right and wrong sides to different principles and values in our world, but because we're all spiritual beings. That means we're also all sinful beings. And even in our best desires to hash out these realities, we can struggle and hurt one another. We can weigh each other down with our words, with our actions, with our selfish pride. We don't easily forgive. We don't see each other the way that we should see each other the way that God made us as people made in his image, yet tarnished and broken by sin. We'd rather people just look at it our way and we don't even stop sometimes to see if our way is God's way. That's what happened to these Pharisees. But we can't do it ourselves. We can't figure it out ourselves. Our way isn't God's way. That's the nature of sin. That's how we're made and that's the kind of servant we don't want to be. And Jesus reminds his own disciples. He says, yes, you need more faith. You're on the right track. In verse 6, he starts talking about mustard, seed, mustard seeds again. And he talks about mustard seeds a lot. And then a mulberry tree. And that might be a, a form of a sycamore tree, but not the kind of sycamore trees we have here in America. These are ones that, drew in, that grew in the arid climate there in the, in the Middle East. And those kinds of trees had huge roots, deep roots. They could grow, as the rabbis taught, for hundreds of years. This is an example that would make sense to Jesus' audience and to his disciples. And he says here, this is kind of like picking up a mulberry tree and then flying it through the air and then planting it in the sea, in the ocean. First, he's tossing people in the sea with big rocks around their neck. And now he says, you're going to take this tree with these roots that are hundreds of years old and you're going to plant it in the ocean. Now, think about that for a minute. Think about what that means. Jesus is not literally talking about planting trees in the ocean. He's saying, you must trust yourself completely to my power. It has to be something so supernatural, so otherworldly, so beyond anything that you could possibly do yourself. He says, you want your faith increased? You can't do it. This is where you have to fall completely at God's feet. Spiritually speaking, it's all about him. And so Jesus says, be the opposite of those Pharisees. Recognize what it means to be the servant that God desires. And he tells them this parable that we're going to sum up here towards the end of our, our teaching today. In verses 7 through 10, Jesus tells them this short parable to avoid that trap of spiritual pride that the Pharisees had fallen in and that they were leading other people into, as we learned last week and are seeing today, verses 7 through 10 say, which one of you, 
having a servant tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. Instead, he will not tell him, or will he not tell him rather, prepare something for me to eat, get ready and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. Now, the picture here would make sense to Jesus' audience. Here's a guy who's an indentured servant. He's a bond servant. He's kind of pledged himself for a certain period of time, as we even learned about uh, a couple weeks ago with that, that manager who was dishonest that, you know, you'd have to pay for a while for something. And a servant like that on a small farm would be a do-anything kind of a person. He would be a, a jack or jill of all trades, but a master of, of none of them. If you've ever worked in a small business, you know what this is like. You, you kind of do everything. There's no one to give it to. You just have to do it. And Jesus here is saying the same idea of being that kind of servant applies to our spiritual life. Um, we're, we're kind of the do-everything. We are God's conduits. We're God's servants here on this earth. He's put us here to do all the work of his kingdom. And he's going to empower us and he's going to use us to do all that work. But it's our duty. It's our responsibility to do it. And we're not going to be the kind of servant that comes in for a meal. And the meal here described that Jesus' followers would hear this this would be the three o'clock meal, which would be almost their lunch or their midday meal. They would have another meal late in the day. So how many of us, if we are really being a dutiful worker for somebody, especially like in a small business or a small farm, we're not going to work when we're supposed to in the morning. Remember those, those workers that got up at 6 a.m. and would work to 6 p.m.? We're not going to work until three o'clock and just say, you know what? Thanks for, you know, the, the bosses are going to say, that's good. Thanks for your hard work. Just have a meal and hang out, and yeah, we'll get back at it later. No, if you are a hard worker, if you are someone devoted and loyal to working hard, loyal to your master, to your boss, you are going to say, boss, I still got work to do. You, you know, I, I owe you more time here. I've got to get back to work. And that was your duty. And in that culture, that was very important. That, that doesn't make as much sense to us in our world today. It might be like a, a sports coach that brings the best out of his athletes, uh, uh, a CEO that brings the best out of the, the customers or someone who maybe mentors somebody and helps to bring the best out of them. That, that might be the best thing that made sense to us. But you worked hard and you worked the whole day through because it was your duty. Nobody offered you a break. You didn't expect one. And even if one was offered, you wouldn't have accepted it because it was your job to do 100% of the work, all of it, whatever it required. You were going to roll up your sleeves and get it done. You didn't want special honors. You didn't want a pat on the back. You did your job because it brought pride to your master and it brought pride to you because you did the best job possible. It was just the right thing to do. And if the master came to you even and said, man, you did a great job. In fact, you did a tremendous job. You would just look at them humbly and say, thanks. I'm just doing my duty. That's what Jesus is describing here. A servant that would say, you know, boss, I'm, I'm unworthy of all this praise. I'm just doing what you put me here to do. And in fact, I'm not going to do anything for my glory. I'm not going to do anything for my benefit. I'm not going to do anything. I'm here to do what you put me here to do. That's what Jesus wants. 
from his followers, that we would all see ourselves as unworthy servants, that we would understand that we are all either leading people towards God on the path, or we're creating those stumbling blocks. We're creating those, those things that will trip them up in what we say and who we are and how we act and what we value. We're going to weigh people down if we don't forgive them, if we don't love them. But first, we have to seek God and see our duty because in God, we find that wholeness, that supernatural power, that ability to love and to serve. Friends, that's what our world needs now. In our, in our lives, in, in, in the unrest in our world today, we see a world that is struggling without the gospel So, because so many people are finding their own gospel, creating their own gospel, instead of finding Christ through us. We need to be leading others and to reveal to them what it means to know Jesus Christ. What if we were to stop as God's people this week and look at ourselves and who we are and what we say and what we entrusted ourselves and not to entrust ourselves to all of the mess and all of the noise around us that we would recognize that we can't do this ourselves. The chaos, the uncertainty, the judgment, the anger, the demands, the polarization in our world this day. What if we put that all aside and quit trying to jump on this agenda or that agenda or this political bandwagon or that one. I'm not saying those things don't matter and that they don't have their place, but you and I, our ultimate call is to be unworthy servants, to love, to sacrifice, and to forgive, to see others as broken people like us, worthy of God's grace because we're all unworthy servants. If you and I, understood that this day. I am an unworthy servant living in the grip of God's grace. Every moment I need him. You remember the old hymn, I need thee every hour. If every moment we would recognize what it meant to belong to Jesus Christ and to lead others to know him, to forgive them and to welcome them. What if we would seek first God's kingdom this week? What difference would that make in our world who needs this message now more than ever. Friends, that's what it means for us to be an unworthy servant, dutifully serving our Savior with all we have and with all that we are. Let's make that our mission. Let's make that our goal this week as God's people. I pray we would do that in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, that you would grab us, that you would hold our hearts, that you would grab onto our lives, that you would transform us that we would see that whatever we say, whatever we do, wherever we go, we are leading other people and we don't want to put stumbling blocks in front of them. We don't want to create in that spiritual sense a fence in them, Father. We don't want to trip them up, that we would see them as worthwhile, that we would love them, that we wouldn't see them as a means to us getting ahead, but we would put them ahead of us, that we would see them as our mission to share the good news of the gospel, to love them, to forgive them, and that we would recognize that in our sinful selves, we can't do that without you grabbing a hold of us, without you changing our hearts, without you in every way supernaturally transforming us, God, that we would understand that everything we do is working in your kingdom, that all we say and all we do is to be our duty unto you, how we use our stuff, how we use our time, how we talk to others, how we look at them, how we welcome them, how we lead them closer to you. 
in the way that we conduct our lives. Father, that we would all in humility see ourselves as unworthy servants. I pray this week we would do that in Jesus' name. Amen.